arguably, for the first time this offseason, the Montreal Canadiens went a full week making transactions, and you could make a, a very strong argument that all of them were good. And I would say all of them were good, except maybe the Jake Allen signing, not quite the extension, not sure, quite sure how I feel about that. But getting Tyler Toffoli almost a week ago at this point, kind of old news, but it was it was pretty soon after our last show. So we haven't talked about it yet. Tyler Toffoli, four years, $4.25 million, and probably uh, an equally important transaction for the future of the Montreal Canadiens. Brendan Gallagher locked in for a six-year extension that takes him, he joins now joins Josh Anderson as the only Montreal Canadiens signed past Carey Price and Shea Weber. Six years, six and a half million dollars a year, a day after it was reported that contract talks had kind of fallen apart. Yeah, so Bergevin, uh Marky Boy, clearly on some sort of heater right now uh, in terms of transactions. Are they all good? Uh, evidently not. We are still very much uh, on the like following that Josh Anderson contract and trade, which I will never stop harping about, including as well as you know the Josh Edmondson thing. But he's still Joel. making moves. Joel Edmonton, right? Josh Joel. Too, still too many J's, as we as we've mentioned before. But uh, <laughs> this guy, this guy is this guy is just making moves. He's probably. Uh, over the last little while, uh, two weeks or maybe even a month, if you go back to the Edmonton uh, trade and, and contract, he's been like the most active general manager in the league. And yeah, it's just like, it seems like, you know, it's just like headline after headline. And these are pretty significant names here. Even, you know, even if you if you can call a, a guy who scored four points last year a pretty significant name, uh, but even barring that. Uh, so yeah, signed Tyler Toffoli. Which, honestly, caught me by surprise. I did not hear any Toffoli to the Habs rumors, anything like that. It just kind of, like, dropped like a brick on my Twitter feed. And, yeah, and guess what? It was actually a pretty good contract. I mean, four years, $4.25 million for a guy who is a bona fide top six forward. Bona fide top six winger, unlike Josh Anderson. This guy's proven himself. He's only 28. This contract will take him until he's 32. That's pretty good for a UFA and $4.25 million for a, an unrestricted free agent who is going into your top six. Uh, I mean, I got to think that's a that's like we're really edging into bargain territory, especially when you consider that it's, you know, he was a UFA. Yeah, Toffoli was one of the one of the only contracts, or at least for a prominent player, signed in, in this year's free agency that got basically unanimous approval. Like this, he's coming off a, a twenty-four goal season now, and only sixty-eight games. So that's a very good pace. Before that, he had he had quite a down year. He only had thirteen goals, but before that, he, he's consistently on a twenty-goal pace almost all the time. Uh, he's probably money in the bank for twenty goals. And uh, I mean, right wing just a few weeks ago was a position of weakness, and now I mean Gallagher, Toffoli, Josh Anderson, hopefully on your third line. Uh, it's a position of strength now, not to mention you've still got Yoel Armia on the team and Cole Caulfield, who's probably only a year away from making the jump. I know Toffoli can play left wing. There's a chance they, they move him there, try him out there. Cole Caulfield, I think, has played some left wing too, even though that's not, you know, an, an immediate next year sort of situation. But, like, this is the kind of player who, in a normal year in free agency, would probably get a six-year contract, would probably get about $6 million a year, and Mark Bergevin, you know, he sees that, oh, there are going to be, there's some wingers, you know, Hoffman, Dadanov, 
to Foley, all kind of in that in that same tier, right below Taylor Hall. And he sees hmm, maybe people aren't aren't so high on them, aren't so high on you know, it, it's going to be a flat cap for the next couple of years. Wanting to take these these players who who you know are the tier below top level in free agency and he said oh look no one's really stepping up to to overpay and you can work out a bargain and you you mentioned that like uh how no one really saw this coming and i think one of the things mark bergman's been amazing at especially considering the market he's in is keeping everything in house like when was the last time really we had like some sort of Montreal transaction that we really saw coming. I guess maybe we all kind of knew Max Domi was on his way out. So maybe not, not such a great example, but like a lot of big moves you think of like, you know, well, the Gallagher extension, the Toffoli signing come to mind, acquiring Jake Allen. Like for a lot of teams, you'll see, oh, Montreal's eyeing this player, eyeing that player, looking to fill this position of need. And with Montreal, you really don't hear much of that until it actually happens. Yeah, no, he, I guess he's got, uh, you know, the cover down, uh, throughout management on leaks and stuff like that. And, you know, frankly, that's a good sign. It's a sign of a healthy organization because we got leaks coming in left and right, like, I don't know, the Ottawa Senators or some shit like that. I mean, it's not a good thing. It means that people are talking to the media. People are, you know, they're leaking. They're leaking. And, yeah, it's just, it's, it might be entertaining as a, from a fan perspective, but if you're a fan uh, of that team... And or and it's just you know it's it's not a great sign for the organization, I think anyways. And so yeah, the yeah. Toffoli signing, I just uh yeah, it's a it's, it's I think it's a product, absolutely a product of the flat cap this year. And so he's one of the guys who you know uh, victimized, I would say, because yeah. And if you if he was UFA last year, absolutely I agree. I think he gets like a six by six given his production, given his caliber, uh you know as a player. And so, yeah, good for Bergevin. I think four years, you really, you know, like with UFAs, it's always you give them a year too much. I really don't think so with uh, Toffoli. 32 is very reasonable. Uh, and yeah, honestly, four, $4 million at for Tyler Toffoli at 32 at the end of the contract might still be pretty reasonable. Yeah, I would argue as a fan that, that uh, surprise deals like this are much more entertaining than kind of knowing it's coming from a mile away. Like, I, I was shocked when I said, like, oh, Tyler Toffoli to Montreal. I, like, jumped out of my seat. And it was this kind of thing where it's like, oh, Montreal's talking to Toffoli. He might stay with Vancouver or go to Montreal or go to Nashville or wherever. And then it's like, oh, Vancouver's out of the running. And it's like the slow burn. It's like a little bit less of a jolt of excitement. I don't know if you agree with me, but, but that's yeah, how I yeah. feel. I mean, I mean, and, like, uh, yeah, talking about slow yeah, burn. go ahead. The, yeah, Caden Gooley. I mean, that was a slow. <laughs> and we're talking about leaks. If there was one leak, it was the it was for the Habs. It was the draft, right? And then we there were reports coming out that the Habs really like Caden Gooley, and we're like, oh no. Uh, and then they drafted him. So like, you know, we're not so far removed from that either. Yeah, not at all. Uh, the gallery contract. That's a that's a big one. Uh, the day before, we as I kind of just mentioned, the I think it was Rick Dollywall reported that it seemed like or it was Gallagher's agent maybe told him that talks had kind of fallen apart and then all of a sudden on uh Vancouver Canucks fans are like you know saying oh we'll trade Jake for Tannen and Antoine Roussel for Brendan Gallagher and all on all these online forums and that's all shot down the next the very next day because apparently it was just a, a harmless miscommunication Gallagher signs on six years after this one and so as as we both know he's been very criminally underpaid one of the 
biggest bargains in the entire NHL over the course of his entire career. He's coming off a, or going into the last year of a deal, I think it was six years long, that pays him $3.75 million AAV, which is incredibly low for a top-line winger. And, I mean, your first reaction to this, I think, was, oh, that's going to be like a year or so too long. It takes him to at least, I think, about 35, which is a little, a little, you know, makes you a little nervous. But everyone seemed to praise this one, too, along with the Toffoli signing. And one of the reasons for that is because Gallagher is among the very best five-on-five forwards in the entire NHL. And because we don't often see him, you know, in the or we, like, never see him in the, I don't know, top 10 point scorers in the entire NHL, we don't really think of him as that. But really, like... Uh, I think that there was like a graphic that showed most five on five goals in the past four years. And it was something crazy like Ovechkin, Matthews, Kucherov and Gallagher. Maybe I'm missing one player, but he's really he's really right up there in terms of five on five. And that's extremely valuable. And so you could argue he's still like six point five might still be an underpayment. And I would say maybe that's right. Maybe not for six years, but at least for now, I think that's absolutely correct. And I think on the open market, he would have probably had teams willing to give him like pushing eight million per yeah absolutely especially when you consider the fact that he brings the grit the character he goes to the quote-unquote dirty areas uh as you know an nhl 2k franchise thing would say uh and uh he and like so you know general managers value that it's clear that bergevay highly values that and so you know i mean i think he'd be very highly pursued if he did manage to to reach the uh, UFA market. And so I think it's good that um, not only just for, uh, you know, contract-wise, but also you don't want this kind of lurking in the back of your head all season. And so it's nice that Bergeron got this done before the season gets started, right a year in advance. And when it comes to the value, I think I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I looked at the terms and I thought uh, I thought I agreed where, you know, the, ter- the, the cap hit at $6.5 million dollars uh, for the caliber of player that you're getting in Gallagher, who, you know, the eye test works, but he's also an analytics darling, right? He's so good on five, at 5-on-5. Five five. And so I think 6.5 uh, is a bit of a bargain. But then again, 6 years is very long uh, for a guy who plays uh, who's, who plays undersized and who, play, who, you know, really takes some hard miles on there to take him until he's, what, 35? Uh, that's that's kind of risky. And so you could see the kind of compromise both sides made when they were negotiating the contract. And... Uh, yeah, fun little saga. Eh? It really, it was like a twenty-four hour turnaround uh, where it kind of, you know, it was. I think it was pretty clearly the ag- the agent who dropped the rumor, like, "Oh, contract negotiations have stalled." And yeah, those Vancouver fans really, uh, you can you could kind of tell how miserable they are. You know, like, "Oh, we're gonna trade all <laughs> oh, these fucking guys." Like Louis Erickson, we're gonna get Antoine Roussel. Uh, we can finally unload those contracts, and we can get Brendan Gallagher back. Uh, you know, maybe a tad re- unrealistic, as evidenced by you know. The fact that they re-signed Gallagher. And so, you know, it's 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 like he's clearly uh, much beloved by Bergevay. Uh, you know, he had a press conference where, you know, he practically got emotional talking about him. And I would say he's a, he's a fan favorite having, you know, stuck around here for so long. Uh, having mm-hmm. been drafted as a late round pick by the Habs. And so, you know, it would have been weird to see him go elsewhere next year. So... It's uh, it's not an outrageous contract, and so it's fair. It's fair, and it's it's nice to see him get him resigned. 
Yeah, I don't remember who Gallagher's agent is, but that probably was a pretty smart tactic because Gallagher's probably like, all right, I, I want to get this deal done soon. And you say, oh, kind of slowing down, it, which honestly could have just been like Mark Bergeron being like, all right, uh, we'll pick this up again, I don't know, tomorrow or the next day. And it's like, oh, uh, contract talks have stopped because technically they had, I don't know, but, but that's that really puts a lot of pressure on, on Mark Bergeron. If you're like, all right, uh, you know, kind of the public is, is losing faith in me to get this deal done at all. Everyone's thinking, oh, he's going to walk in next year, whatever free agency is. So we've got to get this contract done soon. And they did. So so props to him, props to both sides on that. Gallagher, I feel like, is a player kind of as evidenced by those Canucks trade proposals that is kind of undervalued around the league because we are guilty of this too sometimes to be like, oh, a player everyone's always talking about his heart and grit. Well, how good could he possibly be? And then you see Gallagher scored 30 goals two years in a row and I think was on a 30-goal pace this season as well, which is a pretty pretty high level of player that you, that you really don't see every day. And uh, should I tell the story? Uh, I, I won't say any names, but in high school, we, we went to high school with a, an Ottawa Senators fan who I'll, I'll say, I'll say, I don't know if you remember who I'm talking about, but I think this was like, I don't remember when it was, maybe 2017 about. And he was like, oh, uh, this, the Senators, you know, we could really use a player like Brennan Gallagher. Maybe we'll trade Craig Anderson for Brennan Gallagher. And it, <laughs> I don't know, for whatever reason, that memory stuck in my head. I was like, <sighs> Craig Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the story. That's it. Oh, okay, that's the story. All right. Uh, so, okay, <laughs> okay. So, so the the what is this? The moral is perhaps the morally is, undervalued around the league. Is that what? Or don't trade it for yes, Craig Anderson. Moral, Which one is it? Uh, well, I think the second one goes without saying. So the more, especially now that Craig Anderson isn't on a team at the moment. Uh, but yes, what the point I was trying to make was Brendan Gallagher criminally underrated around the league, as kind of evidenced by all these these you know analytics people coming up and be like, actually Gallagher is one of the most valuable five on five forwards in the entire NHL. Yeah, I mean he drives that first line. He's driven the first line for the Habs for a while now, and so yeah, solid stuff. Uh, and moving on to the last bit of Habs news for some maybe not so solid stuff. And honestly, I saw this piece of news. It came out of nowhere as well, and. Uh, Quite a head-scratcher, if you ask me. So, the Habs have extended newly acquired uh, goaltender, their backup, Jake Allen, for two years at $2.875 million a year. And, you know, when they acquired Jake Allen and we saw his contract, there was only one year left. It was expensive, but there was only that one year, and the Habs could manage that. Uh, And we're like, okay, we got our backup for this year. And then, you know, presumably, Caden Primo will have developed for another year. He looked almost NHL-ready when he made a little when he's made his debut last year. And so we thought the plan was we get a big, expensive backup for Carey Price this year, and then we'll move to the young guy in the year's, in the year's uh, future to that. Well, what is going on here? This, is, this contract's not cheap either, is it? No. Well, no, it isn't. I think, I think it's fair money. I think it's fair term. I don't think that's where the head scratching comes in. I think where the head scratching comes in is we thought this would be a one and done. We thought this would be a stopgap for Caden Primo. And I mean, maybe, see, I think this is the kind of deal. It would have been great to just, you know, start the season, see how Drake Allen fits in, if all goes well. But if you think Caden Primo maybe, hmm, could he use maybe one more year after this? 
Oh, well, first of all, I don't know if Jake Allen would, you know, agree to sign just a one-year contract at that point. So that might be part of the equation. But And then people were also bringing up like, oh, Seattle expansion. Now we can meet the exposure requirements. You know who else could have met the exposure requirements? Michael McNeven, I'm pretty sure, if you just signed him to like a one-year extension. Unless I'm maybe wrong on that. But anyway, so now Jake Allen does meet those requirements. But like, I don't know, it's weird to make this deal that far in advance. And for that second year... Just for Seattle, when you're gonna have Caden Primo waiting in the wings, like I don't know, is there any uh like a like trade protection on this? Because it seems like the kind of deal that you'll say, all right, Caden Primo is ready to take over. Time to trade Jake Allen to a team that's desperate for a goalie. It really seems like it's it screams that kind that kind of player, that kind of trade that might happen down the line. And I don't maybe it is kind of good for you know maybe takes the pressure off Caden Primo. I, I know it does take Caden Primo till he's. How old? Like 24, which usually is the age that goalies start, you know, breaking into the NHL, except, you know, like Carter Hart, uh, an exception to that rule. Yaroslav Oscaro probably will be too. But anyway, it does seem weird. I don't know if you expect Caden Primo to beat out Jake Allen for the job and then you, I don't know, wave Jake Allen. So, yeah, it really does just seem like uh, Caden Primo, we don't expect him to be the backup anytime soon. So we just got our tandem locked in. For the next three years so i kind of i talked myself into it a little bit i think there's just it just diverted our expectation we thought it would be like all right and then caden primo is going to be the backup when jake allen leaves and now we see oh well no jake allen we've already talked about how we think he's going to be a good backup so they've just got this really good tandem locked in for three years and i've talked myself into it a little bit yeah okay i mean that, that's the thing right it's three years it's it feels a long time for, uh, until, you know, it's Caden Primo o'clock uh, here at the back <laughs> position, you know, because, uh, yeah, because it, it just felt like he was, you know, just teetering on the edge of like NHL ready as a backup. And uh, we signed Jake Allen so he could get that extra year and then he could be ready in, in a couple years. And so, you know, to see that it's now going to be three years to wait for him to finally make it to the league. It's, uh, I mean, it's unexpected. That's what it is. But I mean, it's not like this contract is untradeable, right? Uh, Jake Allen, mm-hmm. proven to be a very nice backup. And in two years, yeah, Primo is clearly ready for the job. $2.875 million is for a guy who could conceivably be a very lower-end tandem guy. Uh, I'm sure teams will be looking for that. And $2.875 million, it's it's nothing crazy. It's, it's, it's a bit rich, I think, especially when you've got price, obviously, signs for so much. But... You know, it's not crazy, but it's still unexpected. Am I a huge fan? Not really. But, uh, you know, when it comes to exposure requirements, uh, they did have that covered with, with McNeven because they qualified him. And so all they had to do was sign him to a one-year extension. And they basically, this was not for exposure uh, to Seattle, but Seattle could end up taking him next year, um, you know, mm-hmm. because they only protect one goalie. But, yeah, they already had exposure requirements down. It's just, I guess, they wanted to extend him. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he was the guy gone out the door uh, if, you know, Seattle comes out and takes him. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a terrible contract. It's just a bit of a head-scratcher because it was so unexpected. Yeah. So overall, looking at Mark Bergman's offseason so far, before the Toffoli signing, people were saying, oh, that, they've improved. They've def- they're definitely better, on paper at least, than they were last year. And I'm like, well... I guess you you added players and you the only key player you lost was Max Domi in adding Josh Anderson, Jake Allen, and Joel Edmondson. 
So I guess he got better, but like it doesn't inspire much confidence. And then to Foley, that kind of that really cemented it. Like, yes, this is definitely now a better team than the one that finished last season and lost to the Flyers in the first round of the playoffs. Remember that? That was kind of crazy. Uh, so this team definitely is an improvement. Still not sure if the uh, if the division alignments and playoff format and all that is the same. I don't think I would predict them into the playoffs. The forward group is definitely vastly improved now with, with Tyler Toffoli there. And, you know, hopefully Suzuki and Kotkaniemi taking a step forward as well. The defense, uh, I'm just, like they added Edmonton, but like I'm still I'm not so sure with the whole philosophy of, you know, getting tall, big, strong players and having, you know, Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson both in your top four, you know, taking time away from Alexander Romanov, maybe scratching him, scratching Victor Mate. Not such a fan of what's going on there. And, of course, the goaltending tandem, much stronger now that we've got Carey Price and Jake Allen instead of Carey Price and Charlie Lindgren. Yeah, I mean, on paper, the roster's better. There's more talent on this team than there was last year. But I would argue, thanks to notable contracts such as Edmondson and Anderson, that I don't feel nearly as good about our cap situation moving forward because now we've got some dead weights. And it's never good to go on your cap for your team's cap friendly page and you look and you see some dead weights. And it honestly feels like that now when I go on the Habs uh, page and then I see that Anderson contract that it stretches beyond, you know, all the way across the page. You have that Emerson contract, which, you know, is not great either. And so, you know, did they, did they make the team better? Uh, marginally. Uh, I think the, the, the Toffoli and the Allen acquisitions make the team, you know, affect the team much more in terms of quality. But, uh, I just want to put that there. I will never start harping, harping about those two because it's, it's truly an atrocity. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, the defense, that's the point of concern now because even last year, I mean, there was were, were so much depth uh, at the Habs forward position. And, I mean, you know, the, the finishing was obviously a concern for a lot of the season. But, yeah, the, the playoffs were very optimistic and it gave us cause for hope. Uh, Suzuki, Kakaniemi, and just the... the the whole forward course really seemed to kind of take another step and kind of really gel together. And so that was nice. But yeah, that defense, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of funny. It feels like you have like an overload of, of third pairing guys that you could play. And, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not a terrible problem, but it kind of feels kind of icky, kind of feels kind of mushy. And I mean, there's no one that inspires super duper confidence down there. And especially when you look at how, potentially we could see these guys employed and yeah Romanov gets scratched in favor of seeing Joel Edmondson night in night out I that that feeling is just kind of creeping up behind me I don't want to see Edmondson play too much I'm not a big fan well I would expect that Joel Edmondson will be in the lineup every night that he's healthy especially considering that Mark Bergevin said that he's expected to pair with Jeff Petrie, presumably on that on the second pair. So then, I mean, you, know, you got Sherratt Weber, Edmondson Petrie, and then you got Brett Kulak, Victor Mate, Alexander Romanov are the three names, I guess, fighting for those bottom pairing spots. And so, I mean, you know, having some competition in the bottom pair isn't like a big problem for me. The problem, I think, is Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson are both in the top four. And hopefully, if you're trying to make the playoffs, you have some better top four defensemen than Ben Chirot and Joel Edmonton. Maybe Ben Chirot, and maybe he can stick as your number four defenseman. He did pretty well this past season. But if you're saying, we really want to round out our top four, who should we go with? I, the perfect player, Joel Edmonton. That's the one. Back on him. Joel Edmonton to a four-year, $3.5 million deal. Anyway, 
if that wraps it up for the most important NHL team, then we can move on to the less important NHL teams, specifically the very big transactions that were made in the, the mere days after, or maybe even like hours after our last show, actually. I don't remember exactly when everything happened. Hall signed, Petrangelo signed. Do we want to start with uh, with Petrangelo and that whole situation? Yeah, sure. It's it's the bigger one, right? It's just so much more significant. You got teams affected, like, like three different, four different teams that you could argue were directly affected by this. So yeah, big move. Big move, and it's Vegas making the big move here. And I think we talked about some rumors for Petrangelo. I think he was visiting in Vegas. But what, the, the big question was, like, they had, like, negative cap space. Like, how were they going to make it happen? Well, it seems like they did make it happen, courtesy of uh, Jim Benning himself. And so, yeah, they signed Petrangelo to the maximum term, seven years, $8.8 million. It's very rich contract. It'll take him until he's 37. But this guy, uh, for the last, I don't know, half decade at this point, has been one of the very elite defensemen. And for a team like Vegas, which is clearly on the precipice, or they're already a, a clear-cut Stanley Cup contender, uh, this is... I would argue a huge addition and a significant upgrade over Nate Schmidt, who they uh, then shipped out in the corresponding move to Vancouver. Yeah. So what happened with this? Well, I mean, the way they made room for Petrangelo was by trading out Paul Stasny a couple days before and by trading out Nate Schmidt like a couple minutes after. Uh, I know they, they had the deal in place for Petrangelo, signing him seven years, $8.8 million a year. Which I think is fair value, which is like a little under what Roman Yossi's getting paid, which I think the touch over nine million per. Uh, so that's a fair contract, I think, for Petrangelo. And it was in place before five PM, but the reason they waited until after five PM was because they had until like I think noon the next day, when it was like officially quote unquote I don't know, stamped in at NHL Central Registry or something. And because right after the Petrangelo signing was made, they were over the off-season cap, and the off-season cap is ten percent above the actual cap. So, like the the cap is eighty-one and a half million dollars. So during the off-season, teams are allowed to be at wait. Let me just do some some quick math. Eighty-nine point sixty-five million is the off-season cap, so you can be you know up to ten percent over the cap. And they were over that after the Petrangelo signing. They, their hit was like ninety million, and then so making that Nate Schmidt Nate Schmidt trade before noon the next day was what they you know they reeled them back into under that 89.65 offseason cap though they still are i'm pretty sure over the actual cap of 81 and a half so they're going to have to make some sort of move whether it's i don't know it could be as simple as as burying thomas nosek in the minors or maybe they'll do something like i don't know trade nick holden for future considerations and the problem is solved but they're still a little bit over the cap. Anyway, in terms of on ice, in terms of on paper, I am not as sold as everyone else that Vegas has, you know, this an incredible improvement. Because Nation was really good. First of all, Nation was really good. I know Alex Petrangelo, I'm a big fan of, of him. One of the, I would say, top five defensemen in the NHL. And now you might have him on one pair and Shea Theodore on the second pair. It's incredible. Absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, but you lose Nate Schmidt. And you lose Paul Stasny, who I still really like. And now you kind of are, you got some options at second line center, I guess. Chandler Stevenson, Cody Glass, you think he's ready for that? I don't know. He's been injured a lot. Nicholas Roy, I don't think so. So, I mean, yeah, you you addressed a, you could argue a, a need. 
I don't know, the superstar number one defenseman. I guess every team could use one of those. And signing Alex Petrangelo, it's a big flashy name, big flashy move. But I don't know, now you got that whole second line center, and now you traded away Nate Schmidt for, for below what he's worth, I would argue, at just a third-round pick. And I don't know if the net value on this deal, I think Petrangelo will be great, but I don't know if the net value of having to lose Stasny and Nate Schmidt to make it work is going to end up really improving Vegas that much. I mean, look, I don't think it's fair to add Paul Stastny as one of the, the people going out as a necessity for this uh, Petrangelo deal to happen. I understand, you know, was, yeah, he needed to move out. But, you know, uh, I think Paul Stastny was on his way out regardless of whether they signed Petrangelo. I mean, what? He was six and a half million dollars. I mean, you think about it. What? they? It was an increase of, what, $2.8 million from Petrangelo to Schmidt, right? It, it, Schmidt was around six million dollars. Petrangelo was at eight point eight, and they saved six and a half on uh, Stastny, and it's not even enough. They still have to shed even more. So I think Stastny was just uh, a victim of Vegas's cap situation this year, regardless of whether they were going to sign Petrangelo. I thought uh, I thought that Petrangelo signing was not yet in the books when they shipped out Stastny to to Winnipeg, and it was just it was just a money thing. He was paid too much for a team that was capped out. And so, you know, I wouldn't, I, I would really just look at it straight up, Schmidt and Petrangelo. Uh, and you're paying $2.8 million more. Uh, but first of all, you got a third round pick out of that Schmidt deal. And also, I, he's just a superstar defenseman. I mean, I agree. Schmidt's a very nice piece. He's, I think he's, uh, he's established himself as a solid first pair defenseman in his time at Vegas. And, but, Look, Petrangelo's just on another level, and for a team that is trying to win the cup, I think I think it's a worthy upgrade. I think two point eight million dollars, you can find a way to scratch it out, uh, find your space. Uh, I think that's a part. That's a part of that. But I, I really I really think that you know that second line at, at that that hole at second line center was gonna be there regardless because Stastny was on his way out. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Uh, right after the Petrangelo signing was made, though. And everyone was saying, oh, Vegas is going to need to become off-season cap compliant by noon tomorrow or else there's going to be, it's against the rules. I don't know what the punishment's going to be. No one ever seems to know, but it's against the rules. And we're thinking like, oh, someone going to get Nate Schmidt for like a sixth rounder or something? Like, are, are teams really going to try and squeeze Vegas? And uh, Jim Benning, of all people, of course, stepped up and ponied up a third rounder. At the moment, we're thinking like, oh, really, come on. Why couldn't you just, you know, wait it out? and allow Vegas to start panicking. But, I mean, then, you you know, you kind of look at it a little more, and like, yeah, Vancouver did kind of take advantage of a terrible situation and got a top-pairing defenseman, who I think can play the right side with Quinn Hughes, potentially. And we were talking about how, how depleted that right side was. So they really, you know, shored up that hole for, for just a third-rounder. And that's uh, not such a bad piece of business from, from Jim Benning, even though they have plenty of other problems to deal with. Uh, Nate Schmidt. Joining the team, definitely not a problem at all. Uh, you can look at this from two ways. You can look at it in a vacuum. A third-round pick for Nate Schmidt is, yeah, a pretty nice deal for Vancouver, um, regardless of their cap troubles. But on the other side, as, you know, a neutral observer and a guy who would like to see Vegas fail, you know, yeah, you're like, oh, come on, Jim. Why couldn't you squeeze them a little bit more? Uh, this is not the first time Jim Benning has, you know, uh, what is it, has helped out. 
uh, a capped out team. He did the same thing while giving up a first round pick for JT Miller. I get that JT Miller had a nice season, but that was still an overpayment. And you helped Tampa greatly because, look, they just won the Stanley Cup. And so, uh, you know, Jim Benning, clearly he takes these opportunities and, uh, you know, he ponies up. He's, he's not afraid to pay like near market value for these guys. Uh, evidenced by JT Miller, maybe not so much by Nate Schmidt. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so Jim Benning, solid piece of business. But uh, damn, if you if one of these teams could have gotten like Vegas to give up a pick for Nitrant, that would have been just hilarious. And uh, I consider it personally a missed opportunity here. Yeah, uh, Vancouver is one of the most fun teams to look at on on cap friendly because right now they won't have any cap troubles this season because they're they've got about two million cap space and it seems like they're kind of sort of pretty much set with their roster. I think it's worse than last season's roster, especially the absence of, of Markstrom. And uh, also, you know, you lose Tanev and Stetcher. Uh, it hurts. It hurts. And also Tofoli, there's another one that's that's just gone. But where they really are going to run into problems is at the end of this coming season, in the 2021 offseason, when Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are both going to need new contracts. And they're probably going to be, what, Pettersson's getting, what, $10 million at least per year? Quinn Hughes, at least eight, I would guess. And coming off the books, you'll have Sutter, okay, uh, Tanner Pearson, all right, Sven Berchi, uh, okay, Alex Edler, and Jordy Ben. So that is a lot of money, but that also is a lot of roster holes to fill. And you're still going to have Louis Erickson on his last year. You're going to have um, Michael Furlan with two years left at three and a half. You're going to have Roussel and Beagle also on their last year. So you're going to have a lot of dead money weighing down your, your cap books when you've got to sign your two franchise players. And Thatcher Demko also. Uh, hopefully for them, he turns into a great starting goalie, and he's going to need a lot of money too. So Vancouver has really tied themselves up here with these bad deals that are expiring exactly one year too late. Yeah, and it kind of feels like Betting's going like wild with his future cap space even this offseason. Like I get making the Schmidt trade, but Schmidt is like fucking expensive at like six million dollars. And you know, I can't but like, you know, it kind of feels like he's still saying, fuck it, let me just like put all the chips in uh here. And, you know, Braden Holpe signed him for what I would say, you know, uh, it's all see for all these guys, it seems like he signed them like a year too long because it's that 2020, uh, 2021 off season where it's just going to like really hit the fan. And I mean, he's all, he's signing them one year past that whole fee is $4.3 million for two years. And yeah, you got 12 fucking million. Isn't that incredible? It never ceases to amaze me that Roussel, Beagle and Erickson all have 12, like they combine $12 million in cap space. It's truly a fucking atrocity. And you know, we all Bro, saw this Tyler coming. Myers. Oh, and Tyler Myers. Uh, where is he on the... 18. Yeah, right. That's 18 so now. You add him, $18 million. Plus, Tyler Myers is not <laughs> even just the one season left or two seasons left. He's got four seasons left. Uh, you know, so it's just... it's Yeah, we saw this coming. We saw this coming from basically the moment that those contracts were signed. But, like, it's we're really hitting the time where it's going to really start to hurt them. Uh, and, I mean, it's jokes. It's jokes. Uh, Jim Benning... It's just, I want to see how he manages to maneuver himself out of this one. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Is he giving up a first-round pick to get rid of this, guys? Uh, is he getting rid of Brock Besser or, like, you know, Brock Besser? Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. And this is going to be, you know, bring out the popcorn. This is probably the cap situation that interests us the most this coming uh, offseason. Yeah. Um, Taylor Hall, the other big name UFA, 
was uh, we, we talked about before how, you know, surprise transactions. This was a surprise transaction. Taylor Hall signed a one-year deal with Buffalo for $8 million a year. And, I mean, Buffalo, I'm sure they're very happy about it, as they should be, to either get, you know, uh, a great winger to play with Jack Eichel or get a lot, uh, get a great haul for him at uh, at the trade deadline, which I think is probably the more likely scenario. And I think what, what Taylor Hall is thinking here is, well, maybe on the, on the off chance that we're good, that's nice, and then maybe I'll stick around with Buffalo. But more likely, I score, like, I don't know, 35, 40 goals playing next to Jack Eichel. And then I get the Jeff Skinner contract of nine and a half million dollars for the next eight years with Buffalo. They'll be they'll be desperate and they'll they'll give it to me too, or someone else will give me a, a lucrative seven year deal next off season. So I can totally understand what Taylor Hall's thinking here. What I can understand is why teams like Colorado were only offering like five million dollars for the one year deal when when the Avalanche now have uh what do they have like a little under seven million dollars in cap space. And if you, I know we praise the Brandon Saad trade, and I still would, but like if you just hold off on the Brandon Saad trade, don't make it. I don't know, maybe trade Nikki Dezadora for a draft pick or something. And then now you can also offer Taylor Hall that one-year, $8 million contract to try and win the Stanley Cup with the Avalanche. Why didn't you do that, Joe Sackick? Why didn't you do that? Because, I mean, I don't see any reason why Taylor Hall would have chosen Buffalo over Colorado if they offered the same deal, except maybe... Maybe, I don't know, Colorado couldn't have guaranteed playing time next to Nathan McKinnon, but I don't know, that seems like a like a relatively small thing. I don't know, I feel like Colorado should have been a little bit more aggressive in their pursuit of Taylor Hall. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Colorado's trying to win the cup this year. They were so fucking stacked this year. They still are on paper. Uh, we'll talk about the tape trade later, I guess, and that, that one even makes them even better. And so, yeah, y- you wonder, why didn't you uh, go all in? Offer the remainder of your cap space. I, they, do they have anybody else that they still have to sign Colorado? I don't think so, really. No. Yeah, no well, well now they have Devon Taves as an RFA. And uh, Tyson okay. Joseph and Vladislav Kamenev are the lower-end ones. But, uh, All right. but yeah, if you can get Hall, you probably trade both of those players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, it's just, I mean, it, it feels like, a, a yeah, another missed opportunity for Joe Sackick. But I guess he didn't want to pull the trigger. And for Hall... I mean, yeah, there's two sides to this, right? First of all, from a, a securing the bag money perspective, I think this is, you know, a lights out move for him. I mean, yeah, you can boost your production uh, next to Jack Eichel. Who cares what the rest of how the rest of the team does? If you're scoring goals, you're putting up those stats, you're, you know, dominating the competition on that one line, and that's the one line you play on. I think uh, he's going to make himself a boatload of money. Not only that, this offseason, right? Uh, just... There's not a, mod- a lot of money to go around because obviously flat cap, COVID, all that. It kind of you, you, the, the whole flat cap was kind of sprung on the general managers. They've had to scramble, you know, look in the couches for some cap space uh, here and there. And so, you know, not many teams could offer him $8 million, let alone over multiple seasons. I don't think anybody could. And so, you know, you get that one year, you get a nice haul at $8 million, right? That's a pretty good contract for one year. And yeah, it, there's lots of earning potential. Sorry? A nice haul. Yeah, a nice haul. There we go. Uh, you know, terrible pun. But, uh, and, uh, yeah, you, you get set up for next year, and who knows where you'll end up, but probably a fat load of money. Uh, from a winning perspective, I got to say, you know, head scratcher. But I, I don't blame him for chasing the money. Not at all. I mean, uh, you know, he's a guy chasing the money, generational wealth. Can't, can't blame that at all. But, 
You know, you're going to the fucking Sabres. What more do I need to say? The team is dog shit. Aside from, Jay, uh, you know, Jack Eichel. The entire team is terrible. You're not going to win shit in Buffalo. And, you know, you get a nice reunion with your old coach, uh, Ralph Kruger. Uh, and apparently they like each other, and that's nice and all, but you're not winning shit. And if not, I understand he could get traded to a deadline contender uh, contender at the deadline, but he knows firsthand that getting traded to a contender at the deadline, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out, you're not a great fit, and your team flames out, or you just didn't join a very good team in the first place, and that's what happened with Arizona, obviously, this season. Uh, he didn't have a great stint in Arizona, and Arizona was kind of shit too. Uh, they really kind of fell down, fell, fell off that cliff. And so, you know, from a winning perspective, maybe not the best move, but man, dude's chasing that money, and uh, I, I certainly can't fault him for that. Yeah, uh, as you say, Taylor Hall, I mean, don't fault him for joining the Sabres, chasing the stats, chasing the money, joining the coach that he's friendly with. What do you do fault him for is lying about caring about winning. Because if you sign with the Buffalo Sabres, don't don't care how good of a player you are. You don't care about winning. If you join the Buffalo Sabres <laughs> and you had other options on the table and you chose Buffalo instead of those other options, it's because winning doesn't isn't a priority for you. And that's okay. Everyone has their own priorities. It's, it's fine. It's fine. And you talk about maybe, you know, getting traded to a contender. I think the difference this time, though, is he didn't have any trade protection with the Devils when they traded him to the Coyotes. Uh, now he has a full no move with Buffalo. So he gets to control if he goes somewhere and where he goes at the trade deadline. And I think that could make a big difference. And looking at Buffalo's uh, projected lineup now, I mean, you know, there are some people every offseason when Buffalo makes a move. It was a couple years ago when they acquired Skinner. Last offseason, they, uh, I don't know what they did. What did, they, did they sign Carter Hutton? Was that last offseason? I don't remember how long Carter Hutton's been there. But there are always people, you know, saying like, oh, this might be the year Buffalo breaks through. And, of course, it never is. But now it's happening again. And, I mean, you know, Taylor Hall, Eric Stahl, you know, these big addi- additions really improving your top six. Now you've got like a Hall, Eichel, Reinhardt, Skinner, Stahl, Olofsson, your top six. Might have Dylan Cousins making the jump. Maybe Casey Middlestad is going to take a step forward. It's kind of tempting to be like, oh, maybe Buffalo, maybe this is finally their time. I'm not doing that. No, I'm not falling for that again. Apologies. I am not falling for that again uh, until they actually do not go on a 10-game losing streak at some point during the season and actually do make the playoffs. And, I mean, yeah, the defense, still very bad. They have made no additions to it except Matt Irwin and Brandon Davidson. And the goaltending is exactly the same as it was last year. Linus Ulmark is your starter. And he was he was okay. And Carter Hutton's very bad. So Buffalo, they made improvements, of course. Improvements to their forwards. But uh overall and I mean, and I mean also looking at Taylor Hall's track record, uh, I don't think it's uh it's logical to think that Taylor Hall of all people is going to be the one that will help you achieve playoff success when he has, I think, two playoff wins in his entire career up until this point. Yeah, you know, maybe Buffalo is just trying to secure the lottery right now. Uh, you got yeah, Taylor yeah. Hall and his lottery luck on your side now, and you're just trying to get that number one pick. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, have you seen anybody say that this might be uh, a new and improved Buffalo team that might make the jump? Have you seen anybody say that? Yes, yes, I have. Yes? I definitely Oh, have. really? Okay. Uh-huh. Well, With, then, I mean, adding Taylor Hall, Eric Stahl, you know, first of all, they rhyme. And also, it kind of, you know, it uh, inspires confidence when you have such an improvement to your top six. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, you encountered a bunch of clowns. Because really, <laughs> you know, trying to call the Sabres making uh, a jump or a leap into the playoffs and whatnot, as you said, 
is uh it's just it's it's a death wish because it's never gonna fucking come true and uh you know uh yeah you gotta show me first and then maybe i'll start believing and that's a very big maybe and it's just yeah this team this team i don't know the franchise is broken i don't know what else to add uh they just lose lose and lose and certainly some nice additions here to your top six but frankly the bottom six is you know very 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 mediocre and yeah you said it that defense you still have rasmus ristolain on the first pair uh he's still playing too many minutes and yeah i didn't know carter hunt was this old you know i just kind of lost track of the guy and he signed that contract i think it was two off seasons ago and i was like oh okay. uh, you know but he's 34 now what the fuck what happened to him and so okay yeah this team's not very good it's not very good at all it's not a playoff team i look at the roster it's dog shit. And so, you know, to all y'all people who are like, yo, ooh, this might be the Sabres year. Yeah, it's not. It's not. I'm sorry to break it to you. Eric Stahl is not carrying you to the playoffs. You know, yeah, spoiler alert, it's not happening. Uh huh. You've mentioned maybe they're trying to secure the 2021 lottery. Uh, this is one of the first years in a, in a while, I think, where there really isn't a, a clear number one uh, this far in advance. Like Lafreniere, we knew it was going first overall for like the past three years. But there are some there are some options now. And we'll see, I guess, how they do this coming season, wherever they are. But there's Atu Ratty, which might be pronounced Ratu. So we might have to start coming up with some, you know, these Lose for Hughes monikers. Speaking of Lose for Hughes, we might be using Lose for Hughes because Jack and Quinn Hughes' brother, Luke Hughes, defenseman, is one of the top prospects for, for the draft. Uh, maybe he has a great year, goes first overall. Who knows? There's an option, Lose for Hughes. Uh, we've got Dylan Gunther is an option. Uh, uh, have any have any good rhymes for, for Gunther? I don't, or good rhymes for Dylan. Uh, uh, Killing Phil, for Dylan? Yeah, kill win for Dylan. You, you kill win because <laughs> you lose. Kill win for Dylan. That's, that's bad, but yeah. How about, how about okay. for Ratty? Atu Ratty. Uh, oh, man. Uh, Atu. Bad, uh, bad team yeah. for Rat team. Oh, no. That's so bad. Uh, we're brainstorming. We're bra- we're just we're yeah. bouncing ideas. And I seem to be the only one with the ideas so far. So. Baddie for Ratty? Oh, uh, bad team for Rat team. There we go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's all It's a work in progress, people. All right. And Brant Clark also is a defenseman who might go first overall. Brant or Clark. Clark, go dark uh, for Brent Clark. Go dark for Brent Clark. All right, I think that's the. What I, I don't know. I don't know. Go dark. Uh, hmm. We'll we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Dark works. Uh, what else runs with Clark? Hark. Uh, uh, winds. Uh, Hark means like cease, right? Is that what that word means? I have no idea. I, th- uh, I think it's Hark. Know. The Herald Angels sing is like stop. The Herald Angels sing. Hark is to to pay close attention and listen. Oh, okay. So it could be, uh, uh, put it in park for Brent Clark. Here we go. That's, that's, that's <laughs> no, my I feel like there's some, I feel yeah. like there's really something here with Hark with like, listen, uh, or like, uh, I don't know. Uh, no, I guess not. I guess there isn't. Cause I thought Hark meant like stop. And I was going to be like wins Hark for Brent Clark. But now that I was wrong on the definition, I suppose it doesn't work anymore. All right. Last name we'll look at Owen power, uh, is one of the top prospects and there are lots of rhymes with power. And Owen, or just, I think. Yeah. Don't uh, win for Owen. That's good. Or blowing for Owen. Um, mm, yeah. So much okay. to work with. There, there is. Uh, and yeah, losing power for yeah. power. <laughs> what? Losing power? <laughs> yeah. You know, you just yeah, use the I name. Guess. Just use the name. Lose every hour for Owen Power. Oh no. 
Oh, the, okay. the slam dunks. I'm delivering. Truly. Just incredible. All right. Uh, so this has been our first right. 2021 prospect profile. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. All right. A little bit of a digression there. All right. So any final thoughts on, on Taylor Hall before we get to the slightly less exciting signings? No, I'm good. Let's move on to, you know, new Leaf signings and former Leafs, uh, which I think are okay. the two bigger names that we've got. Let's go. All right, sure. All right, do Leaf signing Joe Thornton, one year, league minimum. Uh, pretty much every angle you look at this, it's hard to see any any negative side if you're the Maple Leafs. But of course, Steve Simmons tried very hard too. And uh, I don't know if you saw, but he had that Toronto Sun article where he's like, "Oh, uh, it's Toronto signing all these uh, leadership players like Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons is an indictment on John Tavares's captain, which is absolutely ridiculous." And so I won't talk about it anymore. Uh, this is a successful signing for the Maple Leafs because it is a, a no-risk deal. If Joe Thornton is really that bad, then you healthy scratch him. It's that simple. And, I mean, you there's no cap hit you, that lower than that that you could have on the team. And, I mean, probably you're expecting him to be a great fourth-line center who might even play some a little bit on the on the second power play. And, you know, what you got Thornton, Spezza, Simmons, these players who are, you know, getting late in their career. Thornton specifically, very late in his career, probably his last year. And when you have these guys who are, you know, super hungry for a Stanley Cup, instead of, you know, just the, the one, it's like, oh, win it for Ray Bork. Now you have a bunch of them. And also you, a regular team player, should probably want <laughs> to win the Stanley Cup as well. Uh, it really, it really, it, it can't hurt to, to add Joe Thornton to the team. Yeah, wait, all three of Spezza, Simmons, Thornton, I don't think they've won a cup yet, have they? Nope, none of them. Okay, all right. Yeah, so you got you got your old guy. You got your classic old guy, uh, and now you got three of them, exactly, that you'll they'll be among the first to touch the cup if they do win it. And uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's There's no risk associated with uh, signing Joe Thornton to a league men contract. If he's cooked, he's cooked. And I don't know, you can send him back to San Jose if you want, or just bury him in the minors, healthy scratch him, who cares? The cap hit is so low, it's it's irrelevant, right? And it's kind of the same thing for Simmons. Uh, he's probably cooked, but, you know, the cap hit's so low that who really gives a shit? And, uh, yeah, do what you will with it. And so, yeah, they got the old old man fourth line if they want to play it like that. Spetta Simmons Thornton. And uh, they also signed Zach Bogosian. So, you know, it feels like Dubis, he's gotten... He's got it going hard on the grit this offseason. I mean, he traded away a speedy guy in Kapanen, and now he's added all these old guys. I mean, I think it's probably just a product. He's also traded away Janssen. It's, I think it's a product of the flat cap. And these old guys, they come cheap. And uh, the more skilled guys, you need to, to send them away to save some cap space. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a solid piece of business, the sword and signing on its own. And I, you know, when it comes to the Leafs this coming season... They also added Brody, right? That's that's their big move, their big acquisition. Yeah. You know, but without the Brody trade, I thought they got I got thought they got worse. Uh, but you know, I think this, I think I think the big key in this whole season for them is how Brody fits because if not, that defense is you know complete shambles. It has been for the last little while, and if Brody can really put it together, then we could be looking for a very very nice season for the Leafs uh, and a, and a deep playoff run. And I think it, yeah, the the forward core set, right? They have so much skill up there. It's just, it's really, how how do they get the defense? How do they fix that up? And that Brody acquisition just might be it. Yeah, uh, Wayne Simmons, by the way, is making more than Spets and Thornton combined because Spets and Thornton are making 
700k each, and Simmons cap it is one and a half. So not maybe quite in the same absolutely absolutely nothing contract, Wayne Simmons. But uh, but I understand it's still it's still quite cheap. And I think overall, looking at the Leafs on paper, they have improved too. Obviously, you know that full season of an actual goaltending tandem, Frederick Anderson and Jack Campbell, will probably help. And Aaron Dell as your third stringer, in case someone gets hurt, it's not it's not total uh, doomsday over there. And I know you lose Kapanen, you lose Janssen, but Janssen was injured for most of the season, and Kapanen I think is coming off kind of a disappointing year by his standards. And you know they also bring in Jimmy VC, who hopefully for them he can put it together in the bottom six. And what I think those I think the defense is still a concern because I mean if everyone's healthy it looks it looks okay, but if one of those top three Riley Brody or Muzzin goes down with an injury, which is pretty likely players get injured often, then uh, everything it feels like the defense will kind of just crumbles underneath instead in, uh, unless I don't know Miko Lettinen proves he's like a, a star top four defenseman, and I don't know you still got you got Dermot Hall Rasmus Sandin like you have the players there but I still feel like. Maybe, you know, if you're really going to have Dermot or Hall or Sandine step into a top four role when someone gets injured, or maybe even multiple of them, uh, it's still it's a little bit scary, a little bit scary on defense for Toronto. And it's definitely not, you know, washing your hands at the end of the day, problem solved. Yeah, no, it's 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 teetering. It's, it's a fragile decor. And yeah, I think you get an injury to one of those top three guys. Uh, it's it, you're, you're looking at a, lot, a very rough stretch. But, you know, seasons happen where none of those guys get injured, right? And everything kind of breaks right, and you can find yourself having a very nice season. I think now that, you know, the defense, they kind of put a Band-Aid on it. The next big thing is, like, what's their goaltending situation like? Uh, I prayed that they wouldn't get a scare of. They did not get a scare of, thank God. And so, you know, you look at their situation, and what's the deal now? Uh, Anderson's 31. Last season of the contract, do you extend him? Do you extend? I don't know. If not, I mean, who are you getting? Matt Murray's off the market now. Uh, there's really, I don't know. That's going to be a fascinating one because I, I really don't know the next step forward for the Leafs and the goaltending increase. Yeah, I'm looking right now, or I'm going to look right now, at at uh, pending UFAs for next offseason to see what goalies are available. Because I think I remember seeing that, I mean, this year there were a lot. And I think next year they're actually... A lot too, so I'm gonna check that out. Okay, oops, I forgot to filter for goalies. Uh, that's kind of important position. Here we go, goaltender, and update results. Tuka Rask. Don't think he's coming to Toronto. I would guess. Uh, hmm. Okay, there's some interesting. Okay, not Pekarene. He'll be 38, or he is 38. Frederick Anderson's on the list, of course. Jordan Bennington. We'll see how he does this season. I have a feeling Kyle Dubis will not uh, want to bring him in. Uh, Dubnik, no. Anti Ranta, maybe. Philip Grubauer, that's a that's an option. Uh, Peter Morazic, eh, I don't know. Uh, so I'm, I think maybe Grubauer is like the the best one on here in terms of not Frederick Anderson options. But I think there's a very good chance now that these Anderson trade rumors have really died down. You know, Matt Murray is uh, off the market now, and all the other UFA goalies have found homes. That Frederick Anderson sticking in Toronto. And probably at a, a reasonable raise, I think. I don't think he's going to get any more than maybe a 7 million AAV at the absolute most. Probably, I'd guess, around 6.5-ish, a, a reasonable raise. And I don't think that's too harmful for Toronto as long as it's not more than like a, a, a three-year deal or something like that. Yeah. 
But, you know, that's the thing with contract negotiations. Uh, sometimes you want to give three, but the guy asks and insists for, for, for like five. And so we'll just see what he asks for. And that's the thing, though. He's on the wrong side of 31. And that's, well, the wrong side of 30 <laughs> side of at 31. 31. But also he is on the wrong side of 31. And, uh, yeah, it's it'll be fascinating because, yeah, Anderson's got that track record, as we said before. Of what is it? Losing games where they could put the other team away or some shit like that. Oh yeah, uh, like zero and eight. Yeah, exactly. So you know, not such a nice stat, especially for a team that's trying to make you know really trying to break in, break the ice on the on a nice playoff run. Yeah, that's that. Uh, and I mean, I as as a Leafs hater, I would I would you know that would be a nice outcome for me. Uh, they give him a, a fat contract, and you you say seven million six and a half. Man, I mean, Freddie Freddy has some bad stretches, uh, even in the regular season. And so six and a half, seven, I think that's a lot of money for that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Montreal is going to trade Jake Allen to the Maple Leafs for for oh. some incredible price like Nick Robertson or something. That's a joke, by the way. I'm just trying to emphasize that Toronto may be desperate for a goalie and Montreal has plenty of them. Uh, anyway, the Ottawa Senators also uh, got a player, which is an extremely rare occurrence, especially a good player. Evgeny Dadanov signed with the Sens for a, a very reasonable three-year, $5 million per contract for a uh, like a top-line winger who can play both sides. Uh, I think they kind of already have, like I don't know, Colin White and Connor Brown on the right wing, so maybe Dadanov plays second line on the left. But whatever they do with the lineup, uh, I was not expecting the Senators to be in on any of these these top players because of, you know, how much Eugene Melnick wants to not pay anybody. But on the other hand, as we've mentioned, they do have to hit the cap floor. And so I don't know why you wouldn't keep Anthony Duclair around. But if you're going, going to get a good player for, I guess, I guess it is market value, but for looking at precedents of the past when there wasn't a pandemic, uh, this is a very good value contract for the Ottawa Senators. Nice piece of business. I think they'll still be very terrible next year, especially now that they seem very satisfied with Zaitsev, Goodbranson, and Josh Brown as the right side of their defense. But but that enough, I, that's a, that's a very that's a plus move, an A plus move for Pierre Dorian. Yeah, I think Dadanov was victimized. Uh, was one of those guys who was on that second tier uh, of you know defensemen who. Didn't find himself, wingers. In, you know, a pretty or or sorry, did I say defenseman? I meant wingers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and who didn't find himself with a very nice market? You know, you talk about guys like yeah, Toffoli and Mike Hoffman, who still hasn't signed. And yeah, it's clear that the term wasn't there, the cap it that he wanted wasn't there, and so you know, a team like Ottawa, who an abundance of cap space, too much cap space at this point, uh, comes along and they can offer him three years because frankly they have really like nobody else signed for for longer than like two years at this point uh, other than like their big stars and so you know it's just uh i think it was his limit his options was limited if you wanted term and you know 15 million dollars 17 million dollars whatever it was for him that's certainly a nice haul for ufa uh and for ottawa yeah i mean you're getting a steal uh you're getting a bargain you're getting a nice score uh, yeah he's top line forward at this point and I mean, exactly. If you're trying to reach the cap floor, getting guys like Dadanov is certainly not a bad way to do it. And But yeah, Ed Malnick was going to have to pony up the money anyways. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. is it questionable that Duclair, they let him go to UFA for unrestricted free agency for nothing? Very, very questionable. But 
I mean, in a vacuum, this Dadunov contract is very nice for, for the Sens. And uh, inevitably, this guy will be traded within the next two years for a solid prospect haul. Um, I have a Joe Thornton quote uh, from Christian Schultz's Twitter account. And I, th- I think it's kind of funny. I'm going to read it. He says, I'm talking about why he believes the Leafs can win. He says, I love their goalie. I like Freddie a lot. I think that was a big part of my decision. I think he's a great goalie. And have you ever heard Martin Jones shade quite like this? I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> why can the Leafs win? And he's thinking, hmm, what makes the Leafs different from the Sharks? Oh, goaltending. The easy, obvious solution. And he shades Martin Jones without saying Martin Jones and uh, praises Frederick Anderson instead. And that was what pretty much everyone was reading into that. Like, if I want to win... I better stay far away from the team with Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik as the tandem. Yeah, well, can you blame him? Is he wrong at all? Uh, Not at all. No, (laughs) not one bit. I mean, we just ragged on Freddie for a little bit, but man, Martin Jones uh, and Aaron Dell for the last couple of years and Devin Dubnik now, uh, they are uh, many, many tiers below that. Uh, And so, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That goaltending situation in San Jose is a mess. And so, yeah, Thornton. Also wearing 97 this year, eh? That's kind of that's a funky number. Yeah, he, uh, I remember he wore that number at the World Cup in 2016 for Team Canada. Um, and number 19, I don't remember who's wearing it. I think, wait, was it Tavares? Yeah, it might have been like... Or, or, oh, no, you mean, Spezza okay, was you not... Mean sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah, and, sorry. yeah and the Leafs at Spezza, I know. And okay. I think I saw Spezza like, offered the number and Thornton was like, nah, you keep it. Uh, but I can't remember who wore 19... At the World Cup. Now it's bugging me. So I'm going to check that out here. Another little digression. World Cup 2016 Canada. Also, hopefully the first thing I pull up will have the numbers next to them. I don't know if they will. Uh, all right. I do this a lot in my, my other podcast, my Disney podcast. I'll just look stuff up in the middle and, uh, and try to fill time. So I'll let you fill time now that you're here with me while I look for the, the info. Okay. Yeah, a very smooth shout out uh, to your other Disney podcast. Uh, yeah, plugging. Pl- of course, free plugs here. Uh, and uh, yeah, so '97, I think it was the year he was drafted, right? Found uh, it. Which is- okay, all right. And and it looks like okay, Joe Thor- Joe Thornton number '97, and uh, it doesn't look like anybody wore number '19. No, no wonder okay. I couldn't. Uh, no wonder I couldn't remember who it was because it looks like nobody did. Yeah. Nobody wore number 19. Joe Thornton just said, oh, we'll all wear number 97. So, uh, and he's back at it again. So, interesting. I think it's the year he was drafted, right? Is what I was saying. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, no, yeah, huh. First overall yeah. Thornton, second overall Patrick Marlowe. Before Austin Matthews was born. Yeah, and I think I think the reason McDavid wears 97 is because he, he was born. Uh, yeah. Um, oh. if, I, if I'm not wrong on that one. So, uh, yeah, funky shit right there. And... I think the meme that was on Twitter was that like uh, Thornton played for for Sue as a as a junior player, and so oh. you know Kyle Dubis was inevitably gonna go chase him uh, when he became available twenty three years later. Okay, <laughs> all right. Who else is so, left? Here's uh, who's left. Uh, Jim Rutherford decided it was too long since he'd made an embarrassing ah. deal, so Cody Cece fills out the six on that defense corps. Uh, the, the top four remains the same as it did last year. Dumoulin, Latang, Pedersen, and John Marino. But and even though Jack Johnson is gone now, bought out, uh, Michael Matheson 
and Cody Ceci, the projected bottom pairing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Definitely an improvement over Jack Johnson and Justin Schultz, even though Justin Schultz is far better than any of those players. Just the fact that Jack Johnson is gone. Mike Matheson and Cody Ceci, uh, that's an improvement over the, any pairing with Jack Johnson on it. Cody Ceci, of course, it had to be. It had to be. Pittsburgh, they had that whole bottom pairing right defense. Who is the one player that the hockey, or at least online hockey community, unanimously looks at to in order to laugh and notice how bad they are? It's Cody Ceci, and that's the one, of course. Not Travis Hamannick, who's still on the market. Not Sammy Vatanen, who's still on the market. I know Pittsburgh probably wouldn't have been able to afford those players anyway. But uh, Cody Ceci, of all of everyone, that's the one. That's the one Jim Rutherford said, I need the bad one. One year, $1.25 million. And, uh, I mean, there's your perfect replacement for Jack Johnson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Jim, Be- uh, Jim Benning. Jim Rutherford. <laughs> they might as well be. You might as well be Jim Benning. But uh, Jim Rutherford clearly uh, did not learn anything, anything from, you know, Jack Johnson. Because he signs uh, another bad non-NHL level player who, you know, kind of masquerades as one to a non-league minimum contract. Like, you know, he expects this guy to play. Maybe not much, but as a third-pairing defenseman. And so, you know, it's it's hilarious. You ask me, I think it's hilarious. Uh, because, uh, yeah, fucking perfect fit. Perfect fucking fit. Uh, Cody Ceci's for the Penguins is like a match made in heaven. We really honestly should have seen this coming like fucking four weeks ago. Because uh, uh, We did. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Did we? Did somebody call it? Yeah, people I mean, called it like, oh yeah, uh, uh, Pittsburgh's in a... It wasn't like, oh, that's a replacement for Jack Johnson. But people saw Justin Schultz, he's a UFA, and uh, people are people were, people were a lot of people were hoping for, including me, was a Jack Johnson-Cody Ceci pairing. Uh, that dream died when Jack Johnson got bought out, but uh, this is probably the next best thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Johnson Ceci would have been fucking gold. It would have been, chef's <laughs> kiss. And honestly, you know, if you ask... If you asked Jim Rutherford earlier in the offseason, remember he was like singing Jack Johnson's praises or he was like defending him uh, in front uh-huh. of the media? Man, maybe maybe in an alternate universe this could have happened. But I'll take this one. I'll take this one a hundred times out of a hundred. Cody CC, just incredible. You know, the, the one shot that comes to mind, remember that 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 shot in uh, Toronto when they were playing Columbus in the playing round? And this guy, mm-hmm. I think it was overtime or the game was tied late in the game. And he has like a point blank shot. And he just misses it like six feet, 16 feet wide and high. Uh, and so, you know, that's Cody CC in a nutshell. Not an NHL defenseman, I'm very sorry to say. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> makes a million, $1.2 million this season. Good for him. Because, uh, yeah, he managed to fool somebody. And that somebody was JR. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sure did. He sure did. And apparently, I think like at the beginning, Cody CC was reportedly asking for a raise. Like, I want $5 million a year. And luckily, uh, he didn't, uh, luckily, he, luckily, he didn't make the Cody Franson mistake of holding out, waiting for someone to offer it to him. And just said, all right, I guess that's just... I guess I'm just bad, so I'll go sign with the, the Penguins for one, one and a quarter. Um, I want to move on now to the Islanders and the Avalanche and their little deal. Actually, during last show, they made a deal, AJ Greer for Kyle Burroughs. And if you'll recall, I pronounced the Islanders the victors of the trade since AJ Greer is better than Kyle Burroughs. But then they made another trade that balanced things out a little bit because the Avalanche won that one quite decidedly, I think. They acquire very good top four defenseman Devon Taves 
who kind of had a breakout year last year and exchange for two second round picks. Not bad. Not great either. And I'm sure the Islanders would have liked to not have to trade Devon Taves, but unfortunately, their hands were tied because they have a mix of egregiously bad contracts, such as Andrew Ladd and Johnny Boychuk, making five and a half and six million respectively. Leo Komarov making three million against the cap. Thomas Hickey making two and a half million against the cap. Bad deals. Those are bad deals. And a bunch of players who just seems like they're making a little more than they're worth. Anders Lee, seven. Brock Nelson, six. Uh, Josh Bailey and John- Gabriel Pajot both making five. Cal Clutterbuck at three and a half. Uh, Casey Sezikis at 3.35. There's a lot of money on the book, one on the books, one way or another. Nick Letty making five and a half. Varlamov making five million. Just a lot of players making a lot of money on the Islanders. And now uh, they have a little under $9 million to sign RFA's Matthew Barzal and Ryan Pollock. And clearly that's not enough. So they're going to have to figure something out. And one of those things was trading the decidedly third best of those RFAs for well below what he's worth because frankly they had no other choice. So uh, this is an, indict- an indictment on Lou Lamorello and Garth Snow who signed some of these deals before him and their their mismanagement of the cap and mismanagement of their team. And not all the blame can go on Lou, but a lot of it does because a fair amount of these deals were totally his doing. Man, I mean, when you said like all, the, all those overpriced deals and then the deals where they're getting a paid you know, maybe a touch too much. You just like named their entire roster, basically. I mean, I did, yeah. Yeah, except yeah. for Everly. That's basically it. Yeah, you know, Jordan Everly, you know, Bovillia is under a nice contract. But other than that, I mean, they're old, first of all. Everybody's, it just seems like everybody's fucking old uh, on this team, uh, like 29 or older, except obviously, you know, like Barzal's young. But, you know, aside from that, I mean, you're Johnny Boychuk's like fucking 36 years old and he's, paying $6 million a year for two more seasons. I mean, it's just, wow. I, I did not know, honestly, that the Islanders cap I knew it was bad. I didn't think it was this bad. Uh, it's it's kind of a train wreck. It's kind of a fat, fat train wreck. And I mean, when and then it, the consequence of it is you have to ship, ship out good players for not such a good return. And Devon Taves, excellent defenseman, uh, who, yeah, he had a very good season this year. And so Colorado, for the price of two second-round picks, which, you know, is is a haul for uh, for the Islanders. But yeah, it is what it is. It's just two second-round picks, right? And Colorado will pay that price any day uh, because, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, it's bona fide, like, second-pair defenseman for them. And they just get even more stacked. They don't have to give off anybody from their roster. They're just loading up for a cup run. Uh, and, you know, we saw that sod trade for them. And now we have Devon Taves. And they just get more. The rich get richer uh, in terms of talent. Uh, and the Avalanche certainly doing that. And, I mean, yeah. they, they hand, The Islanders had handcuffed themselves. I think, uh, I think uh, Taves, didn't he apply for arbitration or he filed for arbitration? And so, at that point, they just they had to trade him. They had to trade him because they couldn't afford uh, to go to arbitration. They couldn't afford to pay him what he would have been awarded because he had such a great season. And so, I mean, yeah, you handcuffed yourselves with a bunch of bad fucking deals. And it, this was coming. This was coming, and here it is. Yes, there it is. And now the Avalanche, I mean, getting even better. Their defense, too. They now have five legitimate top four defensemen. Kill McCarr, Eric Johnson, Sam Gerrard, Devon Taves, and uh, Ryan Graves. 
Uh, Taves and Graves, you got a rhyme on defense. Look at that. Love, love rhymes, love poetry. And Bowen Barham waiting in the wings also, uh, who might be ready whenever next season starts. But uh, Ian Cole, there's your number six. And uh, that's a very good number six. When, when Ian Cole is your worst defenseman on your team, that's, uh, that's nothing to, to cough at. So to divert the sneeze expectation. But anyway, I was going to say about the Islanders. This is probably exactly the situation the Canucks are going to be dealing with next offseason. It probably will be worse for Vancouver because they have more egregiously bad contracts, whereas Island the Islanders have some, but mostly just slightly overpaid players. Uh, and also, Quinn Hughes will get a lot more than Ryan Pullock will get, whatever uh, Ryan Pullock ends up getting. So, I mean, I, w- I would say this is a cautionary tale for the Canucks, but it's probably too late for them to be cautioned about any of this because they're, uh, they're already uh, in their bad situation and they're going to have to get out of it. They can't really avoid it because they're, they're already there. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a cautionary tale. You know, it's for the rest of the league is what it is. Uh, yep. And perhaps, you know, even Mark Bergevin, I would say, you know, signing all these fat deals, long deals to players who may not be worth it. Um, looking at you, Edmondson and Anderson. Uh, those names are pretty similar, actually, underratedly so. And, uh, yeah, Joey and uh, Joey. Joel Josh, Edmondson, Josh Anderson. And Joel and Edmondson and Anderson. Anyways, confusing. Confusing for two bad contracts. But, uh, you know, cautionary tale. Don't get yourself in cap trouble. Just because you have a bunch of gas space doesn't mean you can go and spend to the cap. And, and especially when you have young players like uh, Cockney, Amy, and Suzuki. So... Watch out, Mark, because uh, you don't want to end up like Lou. You don't want to end up like Jim Benning, uh, where you have to trade away your Devon Taves for two seconds. Yep. Uh, not at all. Yeah, now a little scary now. Joel Edmondson feels like that fourth year might come back to hurt them. Or even the third third and fourth year with, you know, Suzuki and Kakanyemi needing their new contract soon. And, uh, well, I mean, Cole Caulfield, you know, that probably... Uh, the end of his ELC, ELC will probably line up with um, the end of Joel Edmondson's contract. But anyway, that's way far in the future. Last thing on the docket for today to discuss is the potential of a Canadian division. And I think it would rule to have a Canadian division, even if it's only for one season, even if the time zones are going to be all out of whack. It would be so fun and so dramatic. And the best part is none of the teams are especially good. So it boosts Montreal's odds of making the playoffs when instead of going up against Boston and Tampa Bay, you're going up against Edmonton and Calgary and the like. So if I had to have a very, you know, preemptive prediction for the standings in this Canadian division, we don't even know if it's going to happen yet, but I would probably have, hmm, see what I, none of these teams are good enough to be in first place, but uh, I'd probably have Toronto number one, to be totally honest. Maybe Calgary number two, now that they've got Yakum Markstrom locked in. I think Edmonton third, Montreal fourth. Uh, would Montreal be? I don't know. Huh. Yeah, are they? Yeah, I'll put Montreal fourth. A little bit of a homer pick. Uh, maybe I'll put the Jets five, the Canucks six, just because that goaltending is really a question mark now. And uh, always the bottom six. Once again, another big question mark. And the Sens last. That's the easiest pick by far of the bunch. I mean, that's a fucking sick idea. I mean, you know, the media would go crazy. Uh, you have all the Canadian teams. Uh, you would guarantee, I would assume, you know. So Sportsnet would be happy because you're basically guaranteed, like, a number of Canadian teams making the playoffs, right? You won't have that season where there's, like, one fucking team and everybody else is out 
uh, and you got you got to broadcast fucking Islanders uh, for the entire country to watch. And uh, you know, it's I like it. I like it because you know Canadian rivalries. They're fun. They're fun, and we get to see uh, get to we get to see the Habs play McDavid more often, Drysaddle more often. I'm for that too. And uh, you know, that's an interesting question actually. Where do the Habs rank in terms of Canadian teams? I think they're worse than Toronto. I think you know with Calgary, they made a nice addition with Markstrom. I think I think they're under Calgary. McDavid, Drysaddle. Man, I don't... Yeah, sure. So, like, fourth place is, like, about right. You know, the Canucks, they're a nice team. So, you know, they're they're all probably about on par with the Canucks. I think... I think I think you're underrating the Canucks at this point. You're putting them under the Jets? Really? Really? Um, I mean, but, uh, I love the Jets. They have Hellebuck. He's so good. And they... I mean, well, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, yeah, the Canucks they, did defense. kind of make it to the second round, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. I, I guess that's, that's true. But the Jets got bona fide second line center Paul Stasny this offseason. How can you argue with that? <laughs> but they still have Tucker Pullman in their projected death chart at like third pairing. So like, you know, it's uh you you win some, you lose some, I guess. Uh and yeah, the Sens are obviously the worst. Uh we can all laugh at the Sens. That would be that would be fun. You know? You have six teams who are, you know, all kind of teetering on like maybe like uh they're all teetering on like play in level. Uh and and then you have fucking Ottawa, who's like 16 tiers <laughs> below. So, uh, you know, I would love to see that. It would be very competitive. Let me tell you that. It would be very, very competitive because, as you said, there's no teams that really, really stand out, right, as being a cup contender, frankly. Uh, Toronto hasn't made it past the first round, and they're the best team. Uh, so that's that just goes to show how uh, it would be competitive. That would be the, probably the most exciting part of it is that really, aside from Ottawa, you could see really any of these teams taking the division, just going on a hot stretch, and everything works out. Everybody's gelling, and they win the division because, and they go on a nice little playoff run because somebody has to, right? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I would be all for it. And I think Bill Foley was the one who kind of leaked it uh, in like an interview or something. And uh, yeah, it seems like something they're actually considering, but given like uh, you know immigration and quarantine processes between the two countries, uh, it could totally happen. Especially considering that the season will probably be shorter, or almost definitely be. Sh- they're probably thinking either like a forty-eight or fifty-six game season. That increases the possibility for a, for a hot streak to become that much more important in terms of who could make the playoffs or or get a favorable seating in them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, this this further reinforces my Buffalo is not going to make the playoffs take because uh, they won't have nearly as much time to recover from that ten-game losing streak they're going to go on. Uh, in like the third month of the season, so also uh, they'll probably be in a much tougher division if they're. I don't know what sure, would the other right? division would they have like the Canadian division seven teams and then like four other divisions of six teams each, or would they have like three other divisions of eight teams each? Because if assuming you know the Canadian, if you were trying to avoid border travel, then your entire regular season would it just be playing the other teams in your division? Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, that makes so. sense. And I think, and I think they would, I, would, I think they would like to save the four division format. So three in the states, and I think you divide it geographically. Like you have a, you have a eastern, uh, eastern division and like a western division for like California and like Vegas and all that. And then uh, you have like a southern division maybe. And then you call uh, the Canadian one either the Canadian division, the northern division, whatever you want. And I mean, I could see that happening, and that's how they split it up. 
Okay, so I'm going to try to figure this out now. Last thing, I want to try to figure out what the, this alignment's going to be. So if you have in the U.S., now you've got 24 teams and you're splitting them up uh, into three divisions of eight. So in the Pacific, you'll have the three California teams. You'll have Vegas. You'll have Arizona. That's five. Then who, who are the other three? You'll have Dallas, Minnesota, Colorado or something. I guess, yeah, those are the those are the three westernmost teams, right? Yeah, I guess. Then, but like, that's a lot of travel. That's a lot of travel. It is so a lot was, of travel. Uh, for Minnesota make- and Dallas, in particular. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. It makes sense to have like only six teams in division, but yours probably makes more sense. They probably will go with that eight 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 seven option. Then the Central, I guess, you got Chicago, Nashville, St. Louis. Uh, do you bring Detroit and Columbus back into the Central like they were back in twenty twelve, and then? I don't know, Florida, Tampa, since they're close-ish to Nashville and Carolina or something like that. And then that leaves like, who does that leave? Washington, New York, New York, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Philly, Boston, and uh, and the Devils as your last division. Yeah, I guess so, right? It's uh, the, 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 the one with the least concern is the, the Eastern or the East Coast one because they're all fucking bunched up together. So you could have any sort of combination and nobody would really uh, have much travel. And... Uh, yeah, it's just really uh, there's a lot of travel involved, isn't there? I mean, yep. you could maybe bunch up the southern teams by I don't know Tampa, Florida. Maybe you string in Dallas, uh, Nashville, Carolina. Maybe you you know you can and then uh, like Washington or fucking Columbus, even though those aren't very southern teams. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's weird because yeah, there's that. If you look at if you look at the teams on a map, right? It's just it's so split in two, and then there's like a, a an alley that goes like down the middle of the states. Where it's just like Columbus, uh, no Columbus, Colorado and Dallas, and like that's it, right? That's it yeah. for like miles and miles and miles. And it's like it's an uneven split. And you have like yeah, you have five teams on on one side in the in the West. And so uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see some some teams certainly gonna be screwed in terms of travel, right? They're gonna have to travel a lot more than others. But uh, I mean, you know who's gonna have to travel a lot? The Canadian division, right? Well, the Can- uh, inevitably. Say, yeah. So. So, you know, it's just, it's just the reality of the situation. They're all traveling about the same amount. Yeah. Uh, they're all traveling about the same, you know, crossing the country every week, Montreal to Vancouver. But uh, anyway, kind of refreshing to have uh, an episode that is a normal length after a run of like nearly two hour episodes with all the, uh, the uh, you know, the transactions, off-season stuff. It's been slowing down in the past couple of days. So unless there's some sort of, you know, ridiculous trade that happens over the next week, which there will be some set transactions, I think. Hoffman will probably sign somewhere relatively soon, you would think. And other interesting names, as I kind of mentioned, Duclair, Granlin, Vatnin, Travis Hamanick, still on the market. Still some off-season stuff that's got to get resolved a little bit. But I would expect next week we're going to getting back into our, our trivia segment which we kind of, you know, we took a few weeks off of with all the activity. I believe it is your turn to give me some trivia. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, depending on how long the offseason is and how much there is or isn't to talk about, maybe uh, we could actually have some sort of like, I don't know, trivia-focused episode. That's all about all about trivia. If there's one week that's dead in particular. Yeah. Uh, we got we got lots of time. We don't even know how long this offseason is even gonna be at this point, right? So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. a trivia episode would be, I mean, absolutely a possibility at this point. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the plan heading into the next few weeks, and uh, I think that does it for us, right, for this week. Yep, that's it for this episode. 
of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast. And you can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Anchor or Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a review. You can tell us about all your friends and family who would possibly enjoy listening.